0: of my heart don't be all else too- almighty and merciful God father son and holy spirit we invite you into this time as we have gathered together as your people to give you worship praise glory and honor we pray almighty God that the words that will be spoken Show gravity, integrity, and sound speech. That they may be purposed by you and sent by you for your people to hear and partake of. And when we leave this place, almighty God, we pray that your word goes with us wherever we are. It is in your precious name, Lord Jesus, that we ask for these things in this way. Amen. Amen. I'm a firm believer that life events bear witness to strong spiritual truths. I would like to share one with you this morning of a life event that happened, I believe it's eight years ago. It could be a little bit longer. That does not matter. You may find it peculiar because I'm going to talk about racing. And how does racing fit in and how does this life event possibly bear witness to strong spiritual truth? We'll trust in the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. So, as most people know, I used to be a big fan of NASCAR. I am not as big a fan of NASCAR as I used to be because they moved away from the roots of racing. It's more about marketing. I'm not interested in marketing. I'm interested in fast cars going and driving the best that they can. So we migrated, meaning my sons and I We migrated away from NASCAR and went back to our roots of dirt track racing. I recently turned 69 years old. I began to go to dirt tracks at the age of four when my dad took me. And I took my sons at a very young age. It is still something that we enjoy doing together. The problem is we've only been able to see and be at four races in the past eight years. Uh, Why? Well, the answer to that is simple. I take service to Christ before racing. And every time I want to go to the racetrack and there's a major event, I have an opportunity to serve God. So racing gets put on the back burner. But here it was eight years ago. So now we've made this migration away from NASCAR back to the dirt track. So we are going down to a dirt track in western Pennsylvania. If you want to see dirt racing, you've got to go west, young man, you've got to go west. Down there they have some fabulous racetracks. Well, we found one, Williams Grove, and they brought in a racing series called the World of Outlaws. That needs an explanation by itself, but not today. So. This, the only way to describe this is this is a 950 power horsepower motor on a go-kart chassis. That's the best way to explain it. Small cars, really fast. One was just clocked at 140 miles an hour on a half mile dirt track. So this is what we like. And when we went to Williams Grove for the fall nationals, It was exciting because we were taken on a tour by one of our friends who left NASCAR a long time ago. And he gave us this opportunity to go and experience racing as we knew it, all about them cars. Well, you go Hot Pit Pass. So for an extra $5, you go right up and you're standing right next to the driver, right next to the race car as I can walk up the pastor. There was no restriction. And that was interesting to us. And there was a whole different series of experiences that Paulie Grub also knows. He used to go with us too. But this one time, we're trying to get my nephew to understand why we don't go to asphalt racing. So we take him down there and we show him all of these things. Well, I can tell you that he goes to see 30 races a year for the last eight years. That's how much interest he found in it. But it was the first time we took him down there that we will use to illustrate a life event To help us understand the spiritual truth. So we took them down and part of the protocol is is you tailgate, you know, because the parking lot gets filled. At that type of event, they can only seat 8,000 people, but 12,000 people get tickets. So there's a lot of standing around. So, when the gates open at 5 o'clock, you go in, you make sure you have your ticket early, you go to the gates, you get inside, you put your blankets down to save your seat, and then you go back out and continue to tailgate. This is what we did. So, as soon as you hear the first motor start, I don't care what, I don't care if you're eating, the plate goes down and you go into the track, especially hotbed, because there was something we wanted to show him he was with us the whole time but when it came time to go into the race he misplaced the coupon see when you go in you have to give the ticket your ticket has two parts to it they tear it off you get one you keep the other one because it's the only way you're getting back in the track he misplaced his coupon you know what's written on the back of that coupon a word we see in scripture today, redeem. He lost the ticket that redeemed him, gave him the right to enter that speedway. So we did the only thing we could do. Reached to my back pocket, gave him money, because he didn't have enough to buy another ticket. Bought him a ticket so he could experience the event. Well, I can tell you one thing. He goes to 30 races a year for the last eight years. He has never misplaced that ticket again. (laughs) He holds on to that thing and will not let it out of his hand. He knows where it is at all times so that he is not allowed to go into the race. Here's the spiritual truth of that and how and why that is important for us. I was told this morning that one of the people who sit in the sanctuary said the sermon sounded like a Sunday school. Well, guess what? We're going to Sunday school. We are going. We need basic instruction before leaving earth. That's what Bible, that's Bible. Basic instruction before leaving earth. Let's look at the basic instruction. What we need to understand is that there was a man in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. His name was Abraham. And God said to him, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He who blesses you I will bless. Those who curse you I will curse. And by you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. Abraham left the comforts of his family and his homeland was a promise from God. And he went to a place where he knew nothing. He did not know the geography. All he left with was a promise that he held on to very tight. The Lord had made the promise to him that you will be a great nation. He had to think there's two of us That doesn't look like a nation, but his trust was in God. And so he sets out from his homeland, goes to the land of promise that God is promising him on oath with his nephew Lot and his wife. Again, very small in number to be a nation. Abraham now is getting up in age with his wife Sarah. He does have a son, but his son is Ishmael, born to his Egyptian maidservant, Hagar. But this isn't the one that the promise is made through. The Lord said, your offspring through you and Sarah. This is how this nation will come to be. But Abraham never doubted. Abraham held fast To the promise and now he gets up and he's 99 years old and his wife is 89 and they still don't have the heir but he does not doubt he holds fast and the angel of the Lord appears to him and Sarah and says next year I will return and you will have a son and you will name him Isaac It's interesting because the name Isaac means to laugh. Because when Sarah heard at 89, next year I'm going to have a kid, she thought it was funny. But God's promise is what they held on to. They couldn't understand how he would do it, but they trusted that he would do it. And indeed, they have the child. Now, the nation has gone from two to three. It's showing progress. It's moving forward. And with that, as the child grows, Abraham is told by God to take this, the heir, by which the promise is to be passed on and there to become a great nation. Take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him. And Abraham... Readies his son with the firewood, with the knife, with the fire, and they set out for the mountain, for the sacrifice. That's how much Abraham trusted God and the promise that he made. And he gets him up there and he readies everything and he is about to sacrifice his son, the heir to the promise. When the Lord's voice cries out, do not touch. And now we see redemption. The word redeem means to obtain release through means of payment. There was a ram caught in a thicket. God redeemed Isaac from the sacrifice. The promise moves forward. Isaac now is the recipient of this patriarchal line. When he becomes of age, he sends an entourage back to his homeland to get his wife. And that entourage returns to Isaac with Rebekah. And Rebekah becomes with child. Notice how scripture likes that? With child, like yesterday's child was born. Rebecca becomes with child. She's got twins. Oh, and the twins are different. They're completely opposite, one from the other. Esau, which was the first one out of the womb, is a worldly person. He loves to hunt and fish, and he likes all that good gamey food. But not Jacob. Jacob... Loved the spiritual side of life. Esau ends up inheriting all of Isaac's possessions. Jacob leaves and goes back to his grandfather's homeland for a wife. And he leaves holding fast to the promise because the blessing is what was passed to him. Esau inherited everything. Jacob inherited the blessing. He goes back to his grandfather's homeland and he takes two wives, Leah and Rachel, and we begin to see the origin of the 12 tribes because Jacob is no longer called Jacob, he's called Israel. And the promise passes forward. As the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Israel, begin to grow and mature and take on wives and children, there was one who was singled out and was shown specific attention, and God was showing him that he would have an important role for him to play in life. His name was Joseph, that didn't sit well with his brothers. His brothers thought he thought a little bit too much of himself and we need to do something about this. We, we can see God's activity, life events that show spiritual truth. We can see it again in here because Joseph did not have the possibility of going out on a campaign trail, raising huge amounts of money and running for a political office in Egypt. How will God put him into power? in Egypt so that the promise can continue to move forward his brothers were first talking about killing him but then it was Judah who said you, a brother how about if we sell him into slavery <laughs> God can use the strangest things in strangest ways to make sure his promise and his word is fulfilled So they did. They sold him into slavery. But it wasn't long before the gifts that God had given to Joseph became visible to those around him. And although he started as a slave, Scripture moved forward and says Joseph becomes the number two man in charge in Egypt. All the storehouses are run by him. All of the granaries. Well, Israel and his 12 sons, his 11 sons, are back in Canaan. And there's a great famine that hits. And they're hungry. And Israel sends some of his sons to go to Egypt to buy grain so they can eat. And when they get there, they don't recognize Joseph. But Joseph recognizes them. The ones that sold him into slavery. And he has no hostility. But love and compassion. And the story moves forward. And it is now revealed to Israel that his other sons were lying to him the whole time. He was not attacked by a wild beast. He was not mauled. And the blood that was on his garment that the brothers brought back to prove his death was all untrue. But now that they could go and find comfort in Egypt and find food during a very difficult time, the promise Is being held on to. The promise of God is moving forward. And when they get into Egypt, Joseph clearly is able to convince the Pharaoh, don't let let my family live around the other people. Give them geographic separation in Goshen because they're shepherds anyway, and that's just green pasture. And it is at that point that they go in numbering 70. And we see the promise of almighty God. And his activity in the life of the people. To show forth that the promise is now moving much more rapidly. They go in numbering 70. They will come out numbering 2 million is an approximation. Scripture says there were 600,000 men that left. That does not include women and children. They went in growing in number, but they will come out a nation. Now, this is how God begins and continues to prepare. Because during this process, before they are brought out of Egypt, there was a young child that was born. His name was Moses. And Moses was hidden by his mother and protected from the edict of death. They were all told, the midwives, to the Hebrew women, if it's a girl, let her live. If it's a boy, no. But Moses escapes this. It's interesting how he escapes it. You you put it together in your own spiritual mind. He was put in a basket and water was involved. That's how he was saved from the edict. He now becomes a part of the Egyptian government. The only way that he would be able to be a part of that administration, he was adopted into it. He spends the first part of his life understanding Egypt, how it is administered when he returns back. He doesn't need a map. He's been there. God used his historical experience to prepare him for what God was going to call him to do. But now it was important for Moses to be prepared in yet another way. Because after recognizing his heritage, he kills an Egyptian, he flees from there, he goes into the desert region, he gives water to shepherdesses and he marries Zipporah and his father-in-law Jethro is there and he becomes a shepherd. He will now become so familiar with the land that he is about to take God's people into because he will spend years there Tending flocks. Knowing where the water was. Knowing how to navigate the desert. Now Moses has been prepared to move the promise forward. And he does so. Bless you. He goes back in. We know the story of the Exodus. And now they come out. But before they come out, there's a very important piece, which is what our first scripture reading in Exodus was speaking about. It was the time of redemption. You see, the tenth and final plague that was put on Egypt, it says the firstborn out of every womb in Egypt would die. God's people were in Egypt. There had to be an activity by God by which they would be rescued. And that is the redeeming. Because on the night before that final plague, the only way you had redemption was if you took a one-year-old male lamb, you sacrificed it, you ate its flesh, You took the blood and you marked the entrance to your home. And when the angel of death passed over for the tenth and final plague, God's people who were marked and had that ticket of redemption were passed over. And then were let out. It is this redemption That is spoken about in Exodus. And when we look at what just happened. When Jesus is brought to the temple. It is the redemption of the firstborn. Where the offering was made. And we are released because of the payment. All of these wonderful accounts of how God's people held fast to the promise. And as they held fast to the promise, God kept his word and moved them forward. We have that promise. Because Jesus is how we are set free. Because he made the payment. He made the payment on the cross. We have redemption. We need to hold on to it. That redemption for us is our faith. If you place your faith the wrong way, if you don't hold on to it like my nephew misplaced his, you can't buy it back. It cannot be purchased except by Jesus Christ and him alone. This is so important for us to recognize and realize that we have been bought at a price. We have been released from our sentence of death because of what has been done. And it is this precious gift of faith. Don't misplace it. Don't push it aside. Don't be like on a Christmas morning tearing packages open and a valuable gift gets cast out. Hold fast to this. I would like to read you a piece of scripture that encourages us on how to hold fast and to show that our faith this precious gift of redemption, this guarantee is with us. This comes from the letter sent to the churches by James. Chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. Each and every one of us have been consecrated by God. Consecrated, set apart for service. Our faith needs to be with action. We are called to serve. Please, hear one thing out of today. Hold on to that faith. Don't let it out of your hands. Amen.